This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. I was trying to ride in on my white horse there and fix it, and it turns out I broke the horse's back. That was a mess of three minutes. Oh, my that God. That was a complete disaster of three I minutes mean, let, right there. Let me ask you an objective, objective question right now. It was a Jets game is what it was. <laughs> That was a Jets game. Was it? Was it the? Was it the? Uh, the Hail Mary pick six. Was it as bad as that? It's. It was the sequence. It was like you watch the Jets, and you know you might get some good defensive plays, but then the offense blows it. Then the defense blows it. Then there's a huge penalty. Then Salah looks frustrated. And you just watch it all come unglued because it was all of us. It was just everything. I screwed up, and then Handman jumps in. It's like, well, I should have had this for you, and it's like, yeah, I should have double double checked. And then you come in trying to save the day, and you completely botch it. It's just yep. every, every which way. We we failed in all three phases of the game. A quick show poll. Who's had the worst show, me or Handman? Go. <laughs> me. Why am I not in there? I'm the one that botched the no, game. No, I was lead. much worse than you. Ev, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, hold on. Joe said all three facets of the game. He didn't say four. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm great. I'm having a great show. <laughs> None of this is my fault. That's right. Wash Although, your hands to be the fair, whole thing. To be fair, behind the scenes, Michael, our director, you asked him 10 times how he was feeling, and he ignored you 10 straight times. So I don't Poor think guy. you're having that great of a day, pal. He uh, clearly has something against you. I, was there an incident that we don't know about? Might have been. Had to have been something. Uh, Who ignores been. that 10 times in a row? You know what's worse? When there's an incident that involved you, and you don't know about it. And then somebody else is holding something against you, and you, you can't figure it out. Like, what's the problem? <laughs> There's a there's a problem. They won't tell me what it is. I gotta know. That's the thing. That's, I the only thing you, you're doing there is defining marriage. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that you can't say to me, "Hey, I want to talk to you later about something," and then expect me to not say, "Well, tell me now. Tell uh, me now. I gotta, gotta know, know now. now. I don't want to sit around and sit on that. I can't have any sort of." Just, uh, you know, uncertainty in my life, as you can tell with how clearly I'm organized with everything. (laughs) (laughs) It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance at 888-SAY-ESPN. 888-729-3776 is the Dr. Pepper call-in line. In case you missed it, we had breaking news a little bit earlier in the show. And it surrounds Aaron Rodgers. The Jets opened up the 21-day practice window for Aaron Rodgers to potentially return from injured reserve. So what that means is the Jets now have 21 days to activate him from injured reserve to the roster. And if they do not do it, he is then on IR for the rest of the year. Let's hear from Robert Sala on why they are choosing to do this uh, right now. Right now, is there a specific reason why today opening the window is? He was cleared. So he was cleared for, like I said, when, once the doctors cleared him for the next step in his rehab. And look, we're, we're, in, a, we're in a position, uh, not to get too technical for everyone, but you're allowed a certain amount of IR designation to returns every year. And we're in a position where we've got a few extras, a few that we won't use at all. So it doesn't do anything to us roster-wise. We don't have to cut anyone. We don't have to move anyone to the side. The technicality is he's either doing everything he's cleared for off to the side, as you guys know it, on field three, or he's doing everything that he's cleared for with his teammates. So instead of throwing to a strength and conditioning coach, he can throw to his teammates. Uh, okay, that's something, but they're making a big deal about it. 
in announcing it, and they're saying it, so they know it's obviously going to get a lot more attention to it. Here he is uh, on the topic of Rodgers and whether or not he will definitively be back in 2024. Whatever happens this year, he is going to be back in 2024 no matter what. Yeah, I'm under the impression that he'll be back in 24. And I would certainly expect that. Here's the problem, Joe, okay? Aaron Rodgers is making this decision, and that can't be the case. If inside the next three weeks, Aaron Rodgers says, I'm good, let's roll, do you believe he'll be playing? I certainly do. I would love to believe that the answer is no, but I I have no confidence in that. If that answers your question, it does. I have no confidence. I don't know how they're going to be able to tell him what to do because you've made this point before. They've given him all the power. You can't come back now and say something like, well, we don't think it's in the best interest that you play. Well, I don't care what you think. You work for me. I'm going to play. And that's going to be that. And there we all go. I just, I, I can't think of a time where I've ever watched a four and seven team make so much noise throughout the course of the season. Like, what is it with these guys that at every turn they have to be making news? Yeah. What is it? Like, that they, they, they have so many distractions. They have so many different talking points they need to answer and sort through every single week. They're like the loudest team in the NFL. They just make so much noise at every turn. And it's like, you know what? Why don't you just quiet down a little bit? Just go about your business and stop putting yourself on the radar every single week. Like, you don't hear a whole lot about what's going on in Seattle. They just go out and they play and you see some highlights and they win some games and they lose some games and they complete for a playoff spot and that's that. But with the Jets, it's like every week there are these national talking points at every turn. Like, they cannot get away from all these distractions, and then they're probably sitting in meetings wondering why they're 4-7 and seven and things aren't breaking their way. I, I don't—this is what happens when you bring somebody like this in who craves the attention, as he does. Now, the Jets have always found ways to be in the stupid headlines. Like, there, are, there have been so many headlines over the years that you could swear actually came from The Onion— as opposed to coming from the New York Daily News that have involved the New York Jets, that, you know, they they don't need Aaron Rodgers' help to do this. I feel for them in this instance. I feel for the fans in this instance. I, I don't believe, Joe, that Aaron Rodgers is going to put himself in harm's way. Meaning, I don't believe that if in a few weeks he feels like he's not 100%, that he's going to roll himself out there. I I do trust him on that front. My bigger issue here is this. If he feels like he's 100% and wants to play, he shouldn't be playing at all for the rest of the year when there is nothing to play for. I mean, he is at a point in his career where you can't make the case to me that playing more with teammates the rest of this season is going to make a huge difference in how he plays next year. You, you just can't. You don't know who's still going to be on the team. I can really argue that there's only maybe two receivers that I would definitively say are going to be on the roster moving forward. So that's not a good argument. I worry that his biggest concern is to prove everybody else wrong, not just about, like, I'm me against the world and I'm coming back from this injury. But, like, i got to show you I'm smarter than you because my science is better than your science. 
I mean, where would you even want to come back? Week 16, December 24th, you're hosting Washington. Why would you want to step foot on that MetLife turf? Why? That you know what? That's another point. That like why? Like, Look at that Jalen right Phillips, there. by the way, this past week. Yeah, tearing he his, Achilles. his Achilles. Like that turf by by the metrics of many players. I, I can't weigh in on this. I haven't played on that turf. I haven't played on all the surfaces. But there are so many players that come out, current players, former players, that talk about how awful the turf is at MetLife. Rodgers just blew out his Achilles on that stuff. Why would you want to play there again? So that's December 24th. All right, they're on the road the next week. They're playing Cleveland. You want to go against that defense on the road? That defense, when they play at home, is the best defense in the NFL. That's who you'd want to face with that BS offensive line you guys are trotting out there every week. And then the final game of the season, you're on the road at New England. So, yeah, I mean, maybe you could go get them there. But if you've reached the final week of the season, it makes no sense. I think this is just a, hey, I'm good enough to get back out there, but I'm not going to come in and take all the starter reps. The starter actually needs those. I'm going to put on the helmet. I'm going to throw some passes. I'm going to be around the guys. It's going to be good for morale. It's going to be good for me because I've been sitting around on my butt for months and I want to get out there. I don't want to sit around. I'm an athlete. And he's going to do a little bit of work, and he's going to be around the team, and that's going to be that. I think the most obvious answer is probably the one we're going towards here because it really doesn't make a lot of sense to play, and I don't think he or the Jets, believe it or not, are that stupid that they would take that risk late in the year. I want to ask the two Jet fans, are the Jets that stupid, Evan, that they would take that risk late in the year? Yeah, 100%. Okay, handmen, are the Jets that stupid that they would take that risk late in the year? Yeah, yeah, we've seen it before. Yeah, listen, I don't – I. I really don't think he's going to put himself in a position where if he's not 100% that he's going to run out there. But this is what happens when you hand a guy the keys. And again, a few years ago, um, politics argument at the kitchen or at the Thanksgiving table in my household, right? Always a good time. Always a good time. Um, one of my brothers in particular, if you go anywhere near it, it's going to become a thing. No matter okay. what side you're on, okay? It's going to become a thing. My wife asks him how one particular aspect of his job is going. And it leads right to that. And it was not a far leap. So here's my point. I didn't blame my brother. At the moment, I blame my wife for giving him the keys. Wait, wait. You give the infant the keys, he's going to drive the car off the cliff. Yeah. <laughs> I can't blame him. An innocuous question, and he saw that as a window to get into a political-type take that probably had the rest of the table groaning a little bit. Exactly. Okay. How's your day going? Well, I got to tell you, I can't believe what's going on in Washington. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, slow down. I didn't... didn't, (laughs) Yeah, no, there are people that love that stuff. They they love it. But the point is, with Aaron Rodgers, you give him the keys to your organization... You can't be surprised if he drives it off the cliff. Yeah. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance, the one AFC team that nobody wants to see in the postseason. It's next. ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. 
Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Flat on your speedo. Chris Carlin in the his house. Put on those floaties and grab a margarita. It's a Carlin versus Joe Pool Party. Oh, yeah. It's been a couple of weeks. Let's do it. Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, Sirius XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. The pool party is a simple concept. Joe Fortenbaugh will present a pool of candidates to answer a particular question, and we will select out of that pool. So, Joe, the floor is yours. All right, pool number one. There are currently six teams in the AFC vying for the seventh and final playoff position. So, of those six teams vying for the seventh and final position in the playoffs, which is the team that nobody would want to see in the postseason? That dangerous team that could get hot and burn you. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Denver Broncos, the Houston Texans, the Indianapolis Colts, the Buffalo Bills. Okay, my answer here might surprise you a little bit. Uh, a lot of people are going to say the Bills, not me. Give me the Houston Texans. C.J. Stroud is playing at an exceptionally high level right now. And Joe, I know that we normally don't let this kind of thing carry over into a rookie quarterback. But just think back to the college football playoff last year. Like, this dude's used to excelling in big-time pressurized situations. I would not want to face the Texans. Great case to be made there. Hard to disagree. I would lean to the Bills just because I think their upside is greater than any of the other teams on the list. Now, whether or not they can reach their upside and reach their upside on a consistent week-in, week-out basis in the playoffs, that remains to be seen because they've had a hell of a time trying to do that during the regular season. But when they are at their best, and even though they lost to Philly, they were very, very good in that game. That is a dangerous football team. I would imagine if you're Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, some of the other guys that are headed for the postseason, you look around, you'd be comfortable knowing Buffalo's not going to make it. Pool number two, which of the following teams will be the number one seed in the NFC at the end of the season? The Philadelphia Eagles at 10-1 and one currently. The Niners at 8-3 and three currently. The Cowboys at 8-3 and three currently. The Lions at 8-3 and three currently. All right, the Lions are out. Um, 
they are not playing terribly well here the last few weeks, especially defensively. I'm still riding with the Eagles. Uh, You know me. I have been on this all year, and it's primarily because they find ways to win. So I have no reason, even though next couple of weeks are going to be tough, I have no reason to believe with their really game-and-a-half lead technically over the 49ers uh, and the Cowboys in this instance because they got them coming back-to-back. I I have no reason to believe they won't get there. Hard to argue based on the math. Eagles already at 10 wins, Niners only at 8, but I would lean towards the Niners here. I think they win that game this weekend, and then there's a lot of pressure. A lot of pressure. Dallas is already listed as a two-point favorite for next week's showdown against Philly. Should the Eagles lose the next two games, the Niners end up taking over the number one seed because the Niners have the tiebreaker over the Cowboys and would have the tiebreaker over the Philadelphia Eagles. So something to keep in mind, I think San Francisco is getting strong and peaking at the right time. Pool party number three, your NFL coach of the year, Dan Campbell, D'Amico Ryans, Mike McDaniel, Shane Steichen. Steichen's done a nice job. He really has, given some rather adverse conditions. I'm still going D'Amico Ryans. I don't know how you can't when you nobody expected him. And granted, C.J. Stroud's the biggest part of it. But Ryans has to get a lot of the credit here because that team does respond to him exceptionally well. And I just think you talk about getting the most out of a team. That's exactly what he's done this year. Yeah, it's hard to argue there. I can't believe he's not the favorite. I, I Dan Campbell is the favorite. I mean, he it feels like he's letting that slip away. That performance against Green Bay was hideous. That was a team that wasn't well-prepared. They had just had a really sloppy game against Chicago, so you should have cleaned that up, and instead they were even sloppier against the Packers in that blowout loss. So D'Amico Ryans would be the guy, given where Houston was last year and where they are this year. He's not on the list, but I think you could also make a case for Sean Payton in Denver based on where they started and where they've gone. We were writing him off, and we were certainly writing Russell Wilson off, and all we've seen since are a bunch of wins and a head coach who's got this team playing better on both sides of the ball and a quarterback in Russell Wilson who, you know, he's not back to some elite level, but he's more than competent on a weekly basis. Mm. Pool party number four, your defensive player of the year, Miles Garrett of the Cleveland Browns, Micah Parsons of the Dallas Cowboys, T.J. Watt of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Deron Bland of the Dallas Cowboys. Bland, um... Just and listen, five. That's an incredible record to have. Five pick sixes. I can't make him defensive player of the year yet, though. Uh, only because of where they are right now would I give it to T.J. Watt. The fact that they are where they are uh, with uh, you know the offense that is just offensive in every way. I have to give it except to on defense. offense. Yeah, well, it, well, good point. They're they're not offensive, but they're offensive, or but they're no, they're, they're offensive. Offensive, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, they're not good. They stink. And so, with that said, the reason they are where they are is their defense. Uh, being seven and four, I'd give it to TJ Watt. I'd still go with Garrett. He's the favorite. The Browns have been really good on the defensive side of the ball this year. He's put up some monster numbers throughout the course of the season. He got banged up a little bit in that Denver game last week, so that's something to keep an eye on moving forward. But four very worthy candidates. Very worthy candidates between Garrett, Parsons, Watt, and Bland. All right, final pool party here. And apropos of this, final college football playoff spot. If the top three teams win... 
meaning if Georgia's undefeated, if Michigan's undefeated, and if Washington's undefeated, which of these three should get the number four spot? Florida State, Ohio State, Texas. Should? Ohio State. Okay. Will? Florida State. And that'll be a joke. And that that line that you gave earlier that you got from your guy at Westgate, one of the, you know, getting a, a gauge of what that would look like, Georgia would be a 13-point favorite or was it 14? 14. 14 Over point? State. Joe, that'll get bedded up. That game will go up to 16 and 17. You watch. I mean, I don't want to see Florida State in there. I understand the logic. You're a power five school that went undefeated and won the conference, but it's not really a tough conference. Like, it's kind of based on this being a hard conference. Like, we would always keep Boise State out because, oh, well, you know, it's not really a tough conference, not Power Five. What's so tough about the ACC this year? Nothing. It's not It's not that great. Like, that, that, that logic doesn't necessarily flow for me there. So, I get it. I mean, Ohio State and Texas having the loss, it dings them. It dings them bad, but... I just, we are headed for incredible controversy. Hey, listen. Incredible controversy. Because I don't want to hear, I don't want Florida State getting in and then immediately getting rolled and then everyone saying, well, if they had had Jordan Travis, it would have been different. No, let's just keep them out so we can't even have that hypothetical. Listen, they went up and eked one out in Chestnut Hill earlier this year by two over BC, so they deserve to be there. (laughs) Yeah. Remember that game? Oh, my God. So, I mean, it's been a great season. It's just the quarterback went down. You're not the same team. And all these people keep bringing up Tua and and Alabama and how Tua stepped in for Jalen Hurts, and that's what ended up winning them that that championship. Like, yeah, that was Tua. That was Alabama. They've been pumping out quarterbacks for a while. Florida State hasn't necessarily earned that right or that reputation just yet. I think Mike Norvell's done an incredible job. Florida State's had an awesome season. But if we're talking about putting the four best teams in there, I just don't think they're one of the four best teams in the country. Well, don't forget the final college football playoff selection rankings are going to be heard live here on ESPN Radio. Seen on ESPN this Sunday. Countdown to kickoff. Going to take the official reveal live in the noon hour Eastern time with complete reaction immediately following that. So you want to be locked in for that. And then, of course... The college football playoff semis, the Rose Bowl, the All-State Sugar Bowl, New Year's Day, and the national championship on January the 8th. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, presented by Progressive Insurance. Insurance for motorcycles, boats, and RVs for protection on the road and on the water. See how much you can save at 1-800-PROGRESSIVE and at Progressive.com. Sneaky big news in the NBA yesterday that you may have missed. That's after Joe has this from Farm Fresh. All right, let's get real and keep it real this holiday season by buying real Christmas trees. The smell, the feel, that's how you authenticate the holiday season. Did you know that buying real Christmas trees, it actually helps save the American Christmas tree farming industry? Yeah, it does. For every 10 Christmas trees planted, an acre of land is saved. And so are American farmers' jobs, which is always a good thing. Plus, buying real Christmas trees helps keep real holiday memories alive while helping our environment. Buy real Christmas trees this holiday season at Lowe's or wherever Christmas trees are sold. Get more information online at GetRealKeepItReal.com. This is the Carlin vs. Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. 
Richard gets it back from Horford. Hands to Jalen Brown and lays it up and in. And the Celtics lead by 30. If I was another team, I'd be upset as well. We were doing, you know, the hacker drumming in the middle of the fourth quarter. But coaches have made their decisions and we, we stick with it. I've never written an algorithm myself, so I don't exactly know how they work, but apparently we needed some to figure out exactly what was going on with the playoff tiebreakers last night or the tiebreakers in the uh, in-season tournament, I should say. It's Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio, and on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider with us. So, Brian... Was I alone? Why was everyone confused by the tiebreaker rules in the league last night, especially in the Celtics-Bulls game? It, it wasn't really that confusing. It's just people are not used to it. You know, if, there, if you have a tiebreaker, the first tiebreaker is head-to-head competition. If that doesn't do it, because especially the teams didn't play, the second tiebreaker is point differential. That's it. That's the end of the tie-breaking situation. And just, but, Brian, you know, I, I America, need the league to yeah. treat me like I'm the idiot that I am. That's the I problem. love Windhorse's response there because basically he's like, it's really just your problem, you moron. Everyone else has got this figured out. Wendy, I'm with this, you. Look, Very this, simple. Yeah, this whole thing, we're asking Americans to embrace the concept of global football, soccer. Um, and in global football, it is routine that in the biggest events – the teams will play each other home and away, two-game series. And you say to yourself, well, how can you have a, a, a two-game series? What happens if each team wins one? Aha, goal differential. Goal differential, goal differential, goal differential. And that is, you know, you can win a game in, uh, in soccer in the Champions League and be sent home because you lost the other game 3 nothing, and you win this game 2-1. And everybody knows it. Um, and so what I basically think is the fans and the players will need to be educated. And I also think that what will happen is point differential was a big thing last night. But people didn't care. And I mean people. I'm talking about even people in the league. They weren't paying attention to point differential for the first games of the in-season tournament. It wasn't at the front of mind. Now everybody will learn and be a little bit more educated next year in the in-season tournament that even in those first games, those junk you know, that quote-unquote garbage time is going to matter. And I think it's a great way to broaden the competition and take it to sort of a new level, which, frankly, this global soccer is appealing to a lot of people. Let's not close off our minds and, and pretend like we can't do this. You know, based on the players and coaches that you've spoken to, how are they receiving this tournament? Are they liking it? Are they supporting it? Or do they see it as more of an annoyance, a nuisance, a waste of time, something like that? Listen, no matter what the Celtics players want to say and grumble, they went out and did what they had to do and won that game by the amount of points they needed to win it by because they wanted to advance. You, you know, you, you showed me with your actions, not your words. You know, when I watched the way the Warriors acted last night when they came off the court, having not only blown the game, but also had a lead that would have enabled them to advance. And some of the players have cited wanting the 500 grand each because that is a driving factor, even though a lot of these guys make several hundred thousand dollars per game anyway. Um, but I'm just, I've watched the competition. I was watching the way some of these teams were playing in these games last night. And for the most part, there was an extra edge than we normally get in, in, you know, in, uh, in February. You know, I'll just go to the game in Cleveland. That game ended up not mattering. The Cavs did not advance. They were trying at the end of the game to get there on point differential. And you had Donovan Mitchell, who basically had either been injured or hadn't played well in weeks. 
and he put up a 40-point game. He obviously played like that game meant extra, and that's what the NBA is looking for. And look where it falls on the calendar. Um, this weekend is the college football na- uh, conference championship games. Next Saturday, when the final is, you got Army Navy, and that's it during the afternoon. It's the first Saturday without major uh, f- uh, college football, and you're going to have the the, bat, the, uh, the you know the in season tournament final right there for people to watch on a broadcast television. That's the point of this whole thing. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider and the host of the Hoop Collective Podcast. I say this every time he's on. I cannot drive it home enough. You want to get smarter about basketball, you listen to the Hoop Collective Podcast. Uh, Brian, the Warriors, they blow a 24-point lead to the Kings, so they're not in the knockout round. I, I can't believe I'm asking it because we've been asking it for a couple of years, but is the end somewhat nigh here for the Warriors? Well, look, I never want to be in the position where I'm kicking dirt on a situation before it deserves it. Because one thing about about NBA basketball, whether it's games or playoff series or seasons, they're so long that there's time, there's always time to correct. That's the nature of the sport. Um, and I would just say that right now, well, I, well, I, I can I can on one hand say that I'm not ruling the Warriors out, but also say with a straight face, they're a middling team right now. They're a middling team. They're a below-average offensive team, and they're a below-average defensive team. They're under 500, and they're not getting a lot of uh, strong play outside of Steph Curry, who's been spectacular. And for a team that costs over $200 million or around $200 million when you include luxury tax, that's not acceptable. And if they're in this same boat in, um, in six weeks, we're going to have a real interesting conversation. And I'm also going to say this. They miss Jordan Poole. Now, they may not miss him in the locker room because we've had, you know, a number of players, you know, and even Steve Kerr has alluded to how the, the spirit on the team is better than last year, the chemistry. Um, but they can't score. They, you know, swapping out Jordan Poole for Chris Paul is there's a real difference. And I'm not saying it was Chris Paul's job to come out and score 25 a game. That's not his job. But they miss him. They can deny that. They can say that they're better off as an organization in the locker room and that, you know, they'll sacrifice those points and figure out another way. And that might end up being true. But there's no doubt you watch this team and you see what they're putting up and you see Clay Thompson struggling and you see Andrew Wiggins struggling and you don't notice that they miss that firepower that he provided. LeBron and the Lakers lose to the Sixers by 44 on Monday night, a horrific fourth quarter for L.A. Does that game tell us more about the Lakers or the Sixers, in your opinion? Well, I'm never going to judge a team when they're in the middle of a long you know, road trip, either east or west, because having covered many of those trips myself, when you're on day six or, or so of, like a, of a nine-day trip, you're never going to be at your best. And that particular night, the Sixers were red hot. Um, but the Lakers have three inherent problems that I don't think are really easily going to be going away. Number one, they make the fewest number of three-pointers in the league. They're also in the bottom uh, three in, in percentage. But forget about percentage. They just don't make any. And so that means that every single night they're behind in, in, th- in the three-point game. In this case, you mentioned a 44-point loss. They got outscored at the three-point line by 45 you cannot win a game in the NBA getting outscored like that at three-point line. Secondly, they get crushed in second-chance points. 
They are number. Uh, they have, they have the lowest number of second chance points in the league, and they give up the most second chance points in the league. It's an average of a nine point spread per game. So yeah, I want you to think that you know they're already making the fewest three pointers, and even if they're playing an average three point shooting team, they're behind six or seven of those uh, per game. Um, six or seven points per game on those. Then maybe you're down nine, um, you know, second chance points per game on average. That's average. Some days it's worse than average. And so now you're down like 16, 17 points. Now I'm going to tell you that they're the worst starting team in the league. They're routinely behind by double digits. The majority of their games, they have, they have been behind by double digits in the first quarter. So before you assign blame to Anthony Davis for his up-and-down performances, before you assign blame to injuries, realize that this is a team that is you know, basically crippled by these major macro level issues almost every single night. The fact that they're over 500 is actually an ode to how great LeBron James and Anthony Davis at times have played. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to consider right there. Last one here, Wendy. This is a little bit of a surprise to everybody publicly yesterday. What was your biggest takeaway from the news of Mark Cuban selling a majority stake in the Mavericks, but at the same time somehow keeping control of the team? Well, I have to see all of the details, but this is like a protection, potentially amazing sweetheart deal because basically he's going to take his investment money out of the game. He bought the team for less than $300 million. He's going to sell it for a valuation of over $3 billion, <laughs> and he's going to potentially continue to control it. Um, I'll sign up for that. I can have, you know, I can, <laughs> I can take several billion dollars in profit and not actually give up what you want. I mean, typically, now I will say this, if this number is correct, and I don't personally know, but the number that was reported yesterday was $3.5 billion valuation. That is below market value. The Phoenix Suns just sold um, earlier this year for $4 billion and a valuation. And now this Mavericks, who are in a bigger market, a significantly bigger market, Dallas versus Phoenix, selling for less. So the buyers, which is the Adelson family, are getting a discount on a majority share of a high-value NBA team in a big market. And Cuban is taking a discount because he's cashing out and getting to still control the team for some period of time. There's all these other side deals, like potentially a casino if they ever pass gambling in Texas and all this stuff, and maybe a new arena. But beyond that, if this is just as I've seen, it's a pretty inventive deal where both sides seem like they have a pretty good thing. But the, the bottom line is Mark Cuban isn't going away. We're not going to lose that character in the NBA, it doesn't seem. Great stuff, Wendy. We appreciate it. Check out the Hoop Collective podcast it, just to get educated more and more about basketball. I really wish the league would treat me like the idiot that I am, Brian, but whatever. That's fine. <laughs> Be well, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Brian Windhorst, ESPN NBA Insider. In moments, Carlin versus Joe, ESPN Radio. Aaron Rodgers designated by the Jets to return. But it's not the only quarterback news in the AFC East today. I don't even know what it is. It's a tease next on ESPN Radio. This is the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN Radio. Ryland kicks it. It clears the line. Airborne to the uprights. It's no good. It's no good. And it hooks left with three seconds to go. What is your face like in Bill Belichick? And decide everything that's going on. My coach, I believe in him. He brought me in this league. I'll go down fighting with him. Things continue to fall apart up in New England. Carlin versus Joe, 
ESPN Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 80, from ESPN NFL Nation, Patriots reporter Mike Reese. Top observation today from the media access portion of Patriots practice. Bailey Zappi takes multiple reps at quarterback, then Malik Cunningham behind him didn't see Mac Jones throw during this media access period. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. Spicy. Is it? I mean, has there ever been a more vanilla quarterback situation than the New England Patriots? Also, isn't it always just, I I love the move how when they move on from a quarterback, he doesn't get demoted to the backup role. He always gets dropped to number three. Yeah. It's like he's out, Zappy's in, Cunningham's two, Jones is three, and it's like, whoa, (laughs) all the way down the board. Oh, my God. Like, we just saw that happen with Zach. There was someone else. Was it Zach Wilson? Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Trevor Simeon, two, uh, Richard Todd, three, uh, Zach Wilson, four. (laughs) Way to to date myself there. I mean, Um, look, he got he got enough time. There's enough time. And the thing is, it's not just the playing poorly. It's the attitude. It's it's the demeanor. It's the complete brokenness that he looks broken. Right. Like he's not a he's not a guy out there who's making some good plays and then making a few bad ones and he just needs no. to clean it up. He looks broken. He looks disinterested. He doesn't look like he's locked in. He looks like, as they would say, he's lost his fastball. It you feels know, like it's time to just reboot the franchise and reboot him. He's yeah. going to get an opportunity somewhere else, probably not as a starter, but I can't see him coming back to New England. I wouldn't think so. Uh, you know, up in New England, uh, before the season started, I was uh, I happened to be driving around and listening to sports radio, and they're talking about how much Zappi and, and Mac Jones can't stand each other. They were screaming for uh, Malik Cunningham then. So, listen, now you're at a point where Mac Jones has proved himself to not be the guy, and the reason that he's there is the guy that drafted him, and it's Bill Belichick. So here he was on the Greg Hill Show earlier this week on WEEI, and he was asked uh, if he was behind the decision to draft Mac Jones. You said on this show a few weeks ago that being a head coach and uh, essentially uh, handling everything personnel-wise, that's a that's a couple jobs. When it comes to Mac Jones and that pick, were you 100% sold on that, or was that uh, something that Robert Kraft pushed you toward? Yeah, well, organizationally, we thought it was the right thing to do. It's <laughs> a great answer. Yeah. Top really notch. got to the bottom of that. Again, when you can... To me, it's a win when you can get actual syllables out of his mouth. Yeah. As opposed to... You know, I I think this is more like some people will look at this and think that this is Belichick trying to put some of this on craft. I don't think it's that. I think it's Belichick just making sure, you know, no one person's being singled out. It's it's, it's on him. It's not going to get repositioned any other way. Uh, Just... I mean, what a what an absolute mess. The thing that always comes back to me on all this is that Belichick is really good friends with Nick Saban. They coach yeah. together in Cleveland. Like, they've known each other a long time. There's that great, I think it was like an HBO documentary about yep. the two of them. It's such a great watch. Mm-hmm. Such a great watch. With, with Saban, clearly there was the endorsement, or at least the recommendation that enough, enough boxes were checked that this kid made sense for New England. 
So think about that for a second. Like a lot of times you might bring a guy in and you just really didn't get to know his personality and it turns out he's a disaster and you made a huge mistake because you didn't do your due diligence. That happens. There's no way the Patriots can claim like, well, we just didn't know what we were getting. Like you had the ability to talk to Saban. Saban probably told you everything you needed to know about him. You brought him in and he's awful. Like how much of that ultimately ends up on Belichick? Right. Because Jones might not be great, but he was great in college. And it's not like you got bad information from Saban if he's one of your closest friends in the industry. So you got to figure like they brought him in. They had a thought and they have been able to get nothing out of him. Zero. Zero. And this is how you know that he's not going to be back next year. Jeremy Fowler on his buzz in his buzz column uh, this week guessed that there was a 20 percent chance that he'd be back. So Jones as a $2.8 million guaranteed salary for next year, that is basically, you know, an empty cost if the Patriots relieve him. If they keep him as a uh, – release him. If they keep him as a backup, uh, the Patriots would completely want to reconstruct the position by adding a veteran free agent and a draft pick. And as Fowler points out, that leaves little room for Jones. I mean, it's amazing to me that you can have that relationship between those two guys that you were talking about between Saban and Belichick and Belichick ends up being this wrong on it. Yeah. Especially after that first year. It's not like I highly doubt Saban was sitting there saying, look, there's a lot of issues here. Okay. There's a lot of issues, character issues, attitude issues, doesn't put the work in. Looked good last year, but he had guys like Devontae Smith really carrying the load. Like, if he tells you that, you're not drafting him. Like, you're not going to make the pick. You're making the pick as the heir apparent to Tom Brady because you probably got a ringing endorsement. And I know some people could say, well, it's Saban's guy. Maybe he's going to oversell him because he wants his guy to look good. Those two have been friends for years. Years. I find it hard to believe Saban would sell his friend a false bill of goods. He can give him relatively decent information, and then Bill can pass. It's not like Max demanding to go to New England, right? It's not no. like that's going to cause a rift somewhere. So apparently the recommendation was good enough in terms of the due diligence done between Belichick and Saban, and it resulted in this draft pick that has panned out and done nothing. That's on Bill. A lot of that's on Bill. Completely. Especially when you made Matt Patricia his offensive coordinator in year oh. two. That's a way to ruin him. That is you. Thanks for listening to the Carlin versus Joe podcast on ESPN radio. You can listen to Carlin versus Joe weekdays from noon to three Eastern on ESPN radio, the ESPN app and on Sirius XM channel 80. You can also watch and listen on the ESPN app. The Carlin versus Joe podcast.